What is going on, Laker fans? Thank you very much for tuning in. Lakers talk on this uh, great Tuesday night. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend. Appreciate you guys being a part of the show. We finally got two teams in the NBA Finals. Of course, the Denver Nuggets have been there. The Miami Heat win Game 7 yesterday against the Boston Celtics. Uh, got a few different NBA stories that I want to get into a little bit later in the show. Bob Myers leaving the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Nick Nurse going to become the head coach of the um, Philadelphia 76ers. So there's a lot going on around the NBA. Um, I, I got a few different things I want to get into as far as the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going to spend some time talking about Lakers head coach Darvin Ham. How Laker fans think he did in his first year. There was a really good article over the weekend uh, talking about, this was from Dave McMenamin on ESPN, talking about the different paths the Lakers can take in the offseason, run it back, make some dramatic changes, shake it up just a little. So we'll get into that article. I thought that will tell a, a lot of the story of what the game plan is going to be for the Lakers in the offseason. Um, and then... What do the Lakers do with D'Angelo Russell? He seems to be the biggest conversation so far in the offseason is what do the Lakers do with D'Angelo Russell? So I'm going to get into all that. But I do want to start off with um, my conversation. Oh, by the way, uh, Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation is going to join in about a half hour. I do want to start off with uh, Lakers head coach Darvin Ham. So really as simple as this. I put it on Lakers Talk Daily um, this morning. Travis and I talked a little bit about uh, Darvin Ham this morning as well, or at least this afternoon. And I, I want to open up to Laker fans out there. You could hit me on Twitter, at Alan Sliwa, at Alan Sliwa. Um, what do you think of first-year head coach Darvin Ham? How do you think he did? Was it a smashing success? Did you expect more from him, things that you liked, things that you didn't like? I think you could put it all out on the table. I, I look at this uh, for Darvin Ham. I, I thought the beginning part of the year, and I, I'm going to look at everything. I'm going to look at what he did in the beginning part of the season, pre-trade deadline, after trade deadline, postseason, um, the first two series, the series against the Nuggets. Um, how much more could he have got out of his players? I, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of all that. But I think the best way to talk about Darvin Ham is in pieces. And the first piece, or you could call the first chapter, was getting a roster that was clearly flawed, right? Look at the roster that the Lakers had coming into the season. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I think there's a lot of Laker fans out there who's like, well, we're going to try this again. I mean, isn't it clear that Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, it's just not going to work. What's going to change from you know the beginning of the season to now, or I'm sorry, last season to this season, and I think there's a lot of people that didn't really care too much about the roster. And I'm not talking about just Laker fans. I'm talking about a lot of people that you know, are experts and are, are looking at the NBA and looking at different teams in the Western Conference. Hey, where's this team really going to rank in the Western Conference? And I think it was obvious that there were question marks about what this team can look like. And now you're handing the keys to a first-year head coach that's never coached in the NBA as a head coach. Now, he's got a ton of experience as an assistant, ton of experience as a player, um, but here are the keys. You're going to make the final decisions. It's much different being an assistant and being a head coach. And I thought Darvin Ham, to start the season, was put in a really, really tough spot. Rosters flawed, huge personalities, the Los Angeles Lakers brand. Think about how big the brand is. Think about how big... 
Um, you know, obviously the attention, the how the the Lakers are always under a magnifying glass in every single game. It doesn't matter if it's regular season, doesn't matter if it's off season, doesn't matter if it's postseason. They're always talked about on a local level and on a national basis as well. And season starts out two and ten. Two and ten. Uh, they start the season out actually 0-5, but they end up, that's the number everybody remembers, the 2-10 and 10 start through 12 games. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure Darvin Ham was probably sitting there scratching his head like, what the heck? Out of all the starts that I could have had, this is the start that we have. Um, think about the amount of pressure that comes with being the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. And oh, by the way, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on your team. Um Lakers head coach in the offseason, Frank Vogel, gets fired even though he won an NBA championship just a couple years prior to that. So there's all these things that I'm sure once the season starts and it's 2-10, and 10, it's like this is going to be a colossal failure. I think what we learned about Darvin Ham as the season progressed, even before the NBA trade deadline, one thing that you were never going to question is are the players playing for Darvin Ham? Are they playing hard? Do they care? Are they fighting for their head coach? Are they listening to the message? Again, this is pre-trade deadline. And even if it was Russell Westbrook or Patrick Beverly or Juan Toscano-Anderson or Thomas Bryant, I'm naming off some of the guys that ended up getting traded, um, I think it was clear that one thing that you're not going to question with Darvin Ham is if his players are going to fight for him, if they're going to listen to him if they're going to do whatever they feel like they they can in their power to try to bring some success to a head coach that was just getting started. And then trade deadline happens. And the Lakers really take off from there. They kind of hover. Lakers were always, what, three games below 500 to six games below 500. And that was for the most part up until the trade deadline. Trade deadline happens. Obviously, Lakers go through there. They had already had their issues with AD missing some time. Then Braun misses some time. But the team, the roster is actually becomes a real team, that the pieces actually fit. And Darvin Ham, I think from that point on, you could see that, all right, not only is his message getting across, but he feels like he has the right players to go get Ws and to go get wins. Before the playoffs started, I think some of the question marks that were around Darvin Ham is late-game situations, um, rotations, I thought sometimes were at question, specifically – uh, not just the rotations, but specifically late-game situations. What do you think of some of these late-game situations of some of the different stuff that he was doing? There were question marks there. Definitely question marks. Of course there were question marks. Then playoffs start. And once the postseason starts, now you're, all right, now you're really going to find out what this coach is all about. Lakers go through the Memphis Grizzlies, and I, I thought lineup-wise, all right, he's doing the right thing. Road games, Came out in the first game on the road against the Memphis Grizzlies and got a W. Uh, took care of the Memphis Grizzlies in six games. All right, yeah, yeah, but what about when they take on the Golden State Warriors and now you got Steve Kerr on the other side and all of his experience? I remember doing this leading up to um, leading up to the actual uh, series against the Golden State Warriors. Okay, what are some of the advantages Lakers have against the Warriors? Ah, oh, they got Anthony Davis and they got size and they got length and they got a great. They got forwards, um, something that the Warriors don't have. But I'll tell you what the Warriors have. They got championship experience. They got better coaching. Steve Kerr, I mean, Steve Kerr, he could potentially run circles around Darvin Ham. Okay, that didn't play out as planned. Darvin Ham was great. You got the Warriors actually on their heels the entire series. They lose game one. 
And then after that, it's a Golden State Warriors changing their starting lineup, I think three out of four games, just to try to see how they can circumnavigate what the Lakers were doing to them. He was excellent against the Warriors. And then came the last series against the Denver Nuggets. And Laker fans, I guess the question is this. Did you look at the time that Darvin Ham had with the Lakers in that series against the Denver Nuggets and say to yourself, well, they're not winning this series because of Darvin Ham. I didn't feel like it was the coach. I felt like the Lakers lost some games at the end, but they battled. I felt like talent-wise, the Denver Nuggets seemed like there was better chemistry, more continuity. Um, Jamal Murray had a couple unbelievable games. Joker was the best player arguably in the league. I thought the Denver Nuggets beat the Lakers because they were just better than the Lakers. But I wouldn't put it on, well, if Darvin Ham would have done A, B, and C, the Lakers would have won that series. So I, I look at what Darvin Ham did in his first year, and I got no problem taking a step back and talking uh, really about how promising I think it's going to be having Darvin Ham as the head coach of the Lakers. I'll go back to this, and I think this is one of the most important things. First-year coach, you're coaching the Lakers. Do you have everybody? Do you have every single player that's out there? Do you have them all pulling the rope in the same direction? I think everybody would agree that 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 he did. Can you make a actual playoff run, and can you put yourself in a position that on the biggest stage when everybody's watching that the moment isn't too big for you? I think Darvin Ham did a good job there as well. Promising to me is the best way to describe Darvin Ham's first year as head coach as the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, what happens if the roster gets a little bit better or what happens if they have more time to go through a training camp and go through, you know, build some continuity together and everything else? Um, there's a, a roster with familiar faces that you don't have to change everything 60, 65% through the year. Then I think we start getting to a point where Darvin Ham can take also his next step or his next his natural transition from his first year to his second year. Take all the things that he did learn from in his first year as coaching and and move on to the second season. Um, I, I see it as promising. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people in my position as well where this was my fourth year covering the Lakers. Luke Walton, Frank Vogel. Uh, again, this is just your last couple of coaches. Luke Walton, Frank Vogel, and, um, and Darvin Ham. I know we could all live and die off of every game. I mean, I'm doing every post-game show for the last four years, pre and post. And post-game specifically, every time you do a post-game broadcast, everybody is basically saying, um, hey, let's get rid of the coach. Coach has got to go. Well, okay, that sounds like a pretty extreme reaction. And then when they win, oh, this is the greatest coach in the world. That kind of comes with the territory, especially with the Los Angeles Lakers. But with all that being said... Um, I, I really, really do feel encouraged about having Darvin Ham as the coach of the Lakers. And if there were some times during the regular season you were questioning, hey, is this guy ready? Is he is he built for the situation? Um, can he circumnavigate all the scrutiny that comes being a Lakers head coach? It didn't seem to have too much of a problem, and I thought he only got better as the season progressed and the Lakers got into the playoffs. If you got some thoughts on that, you could hit me on Twitter, at Alan Sliwa. Um, how you think Darvin Ham did as the uh, first-year head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, quick shout-out here. Valvoline Instant Oil Change. Visit SoCalOilChange.com 
For location and game-winning coupons off your next Valvoline instant oil change, always uh, appreciate having them as a partner here. I go to the one out in Pasadena. Um, you can uh, find uh, the location nearest you. It takes about 15 minutes. Don't procrastinate. Get it. Uh, get the job done. Okay, uh, there was a really good article over the weekend, and it was Dave McMenamin really just kind of listing out here all the different options for the Los Angeles Lakers that they got three different doors um, to kind of figure out, three different paths to figure out as we get into free agency, as we get into the offseason. I want to walk through that coming up next, which one makes the most sense, and do the Lakers have enough talent as is to go make a real championship run? That's obviously going to be a big question in the offseason as well, plus Trevor Lane coming up in about 15 minutes of Lakers Nation. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, welcome back to Lakers Talk. Uh, appreciate everybody being a part of the show. Uh, make sure you download the ESPN LA app. You can get uh, Lakers Talk. Uh, got our own channel there, so any episodes that you miss, you can catch them. Um, okay, I, I want to go through an article here real quick that came out over the weekend from Dave McMenamin, and it's really just kind of laying out the three options that the Lakers have in the offseason. Uh, I'll spend some time. Trevor Lane's gonna from Lakers Nation is going to come up in about 12, 13 minutes or so, and we'll get a chance to get his thoughts on this as well. What do the Lakers do next? And the options in front of them are run it back, bring back the same exact team, um, another option is completely shake it up and go after, you know, obviously some of the stars out there. And then the last option is split the difference, make some changes, but also bring back a lot of the same players. So I- I'm going to, I'm going to start with run it back and try to make a case with this. Um, I- I'm not sure if the Lakers, if this is going to be their game plan, but it's one of the options. So I think it's safe to say that the Lakers put together a really, really competitive team that got to the Western Conference Finals. The question is, if you brought back all the same players, if Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt and, um, you know, Lakers obviously have their restricted free agents are Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, so they can match any outside offers to keep them. Uh, they went 18-8 and eight since the trade deadline. Um, you find a way to bring back D'Angelo Russell, and you just basically say, guys, we're going to run this back. That there's a case for the front office to make that, and I don't think it's an awful option. I'll I'll tell you that right out the gate. I I don't think it's enough talent to win it all. 
but I think it leaves you with some options. Um, there's a case to be made that give this team a full training camp together. Um, give them a full preseason together. Give them a full regular season together. And take your chances with that team and just see how far it can actually go. Um, I think the Lakers, certainly from a seeding perspective, if they brought back the exact same team, and listen, I think Malik Beasley is going to shoot a lot better than he did. I think Jared Vanderbilt showed in certain, not every round, but he showed his value and how he can be a proponent in the NBA, or I'm sorry, a, uh, um, a real threat in the NBA, uh, a guy that has a specific job to do and he could be effective at it. Um, and I think on top of that, D'Angelo Russell did not have the playoff series that the Lakers needed against the Denver Nuggets, but he also wasn't awful in the playoffs. I mean, it wasn't just this specific, you know, if you look at the series against the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors, he had moments. He was actually uh, definitely effective against the Memphis Grizzlies and the uh, and the Golden State Warriors. So do you just keep the team as, as is, and do you feel like there's enough there to win the whole thing? Is there enough talent to win the whole thing if you keep the team as is? I'm going to give you my personal opinion on this. I don't think there's enough talent. I think it's a good team. I think they could win a lot of regular season games, but I would get concerned again in the playoffs thinking that there might be another team out there that takes you out. Uh, it's something to keep in mind here, something that I think is really important that we probably don't talk enough about. What we don't talk enough about is what's going to happen with a, lot of other, with a lot of these other teams in the offseason. I, I think the Lakers took huge steps this past year but what can we expect from the rest of the league this offseason? You think the Warriors are just gonna are just gonna sit back and do nothing? Now, hey, listen, maybe because Bob Myers is stepping back, maybe that organization is also gonna retool everything and um Joe Lacob and the ownership group of the Golden State Warriors don't want to keep paying into that luxury tax. You think the Phoenix Suns are just gonna sit back with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and not try to find ways to improve? They've already fired their head coach. They're obviously looking for different ways to get better. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are going to be good for a while. I think that's safe to say. OKC New Orleans, kind of up-and-coming teams. If Zion can stay healthy, let's see what OKC can do as they got a little bit of a taste of the playing tournament for the first time. Sacramento and Memphis trying to get to the next step. So there's a lot of teams in the Western Conference that are going to be really, really good. I think the Lakers need more more talent. Now, how do they get there? Now, one of the other options for uh, Dave McMenamin in his story was change it up dramatically. I don't think they have to change it up dramatically, but one of those ideas is go get another big-time player like Kyrie Irving or Fred Van Vliet or uh, maybe somebody else that becomes available. If you bring back the same team and the regular season starts, by the time you get closer to the trade deadline, you're going to figure out, hey, what changes do we need to make? That there is value in some of the contracts that the Lakers have, some of the players that the Lakers have. You can actually uh, – Brian Windhorst mentioned this last week on Lakers Talk. He's like, look, the Lakers have a lot of options. They don't have to feel this unbelievable pressure um, to obviously make something happen right now. Uh, they don't have to feel this unbelievable pressure in the offseason to say, we got to go, go big fish hunting or anything along the big game hunting, um, that they don't have to do that. One of the stories that came out, if they are going to go big game hunting, is 
the Kyrie piece. The Kyrie Irving thing, every time he comes up, the Lakers are associated. I read a story from Mark Stein on his Substack over the weekend. The Dallas Mavericks have no interest in Kyrie Irving's sign-and-trade for D'Angelo Russell. I actually, the more that we get a little closer to the offseason, the more I think that Kyrie Irving is going to end up staying with the Dallas Mavericks. I think that they will be the team that offers him the most money in the most years. And I am not surprised by any stretch of the imagination that they have zero interest in doing some type of a deal with the Lakers. Of course, why would they want to help the Lakers? Why would they want to do a sign and trade? First off, D'Angelo Russell has played with how many different teams? And I'll get into D'Lo in a second and what the Lakers should do with D'Angelo Russell. But how many different times or how many different teams has D'Angelo Russell played for? Is that really the solution? Did they go trade who they traded for for D'Angelo Russell? No, they didn't. They tried to get another you know, quote-unquote superstar, which Kyrie Irving certainly has proven, but it comes with a lot of headaches or could come with a lot of headaches. But I, I believe when you look at the Kyrie Irving situation, every indication, at least to me, is the chances of him ending up with the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a lot of things that the Lakers would have to do in order to get Kyrie Irving. I'm going to read something uh, specifically from Mark Stein's Substack that he said the Mavericks would have no interest in the sign-and-trade with the Lakers that features D'Angelo Russell as the primary Dallas-bound player. Uh, that's one of the things that he mentioned. And then he also talked about um, no matter what the Lakers do, to try to get Kyrie Irving outright, which I don't think the Lakers are going to go and offer you know a multi-year deal. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they decide and there's pressure from LeBron James to do it. But to go get that star like Kyrie Irving, um, to still end up with players – Austin Reeves, they can make happen. I think they're going to match any offer. The Rui thing, I don't think it's a guarantee if they're trying to go get uh, Kyrie Irving. And then the question is going to be, is Kyrie Irving want to come for less money? Does he want to take less money? Is he willing to take less years? And I don't have the answer to that. The The last option in Dave McMenamin's, um, you know, in his piece here is shake it up, but just shake it up a little. That keep Rui, keep Austin Reeves, um, try to get Austin Reeves back. And, uh, and figure out what you're going to do with D'Angelo Russell, which you clearly don't want to just see that guy walk away and end up with a different team. Um, but you also want to get D'Angelo Russell at the right price. D'Angelo Russell, his performance, I thought, in the playoffs and his performance as a Los Angeles Laker so far, um, it's not that he doesn't have value. He obviously has value. The question is, how much value does he have? Are you willing to pay him um, the max over two years, which I think is around 32, 34, somewhere around there? Are you willing to give him that type of a deal? I, I don't think the Lakers should do that. Um, I definitely don't think the Lakers should do that. I think the Lakers, if they could find the right price, which it sounds like the Lakers would try to get him between 18 and $23 million a year, okay, hey, it's not a bad contract. That's a workable contract. That's a contract that you could say, all right, D'Angelo Russell ends up coming back with the Los Angeles Lakers, and you feel like you got him on a, not a team-friendly deal, but a fair deal. Look, he didn't perform. He wasn't even getting playing time as the, season, as the series progressed against the Denver Nuggets. I don't, I don't personally view D'Angelo Russell as a winning player, and I do worry that in playoff situations, I do worry in having a player like D'Angelo Russell, 
in big-time situations, I don't feel that comfortable with that. I don't know if D'Angelo Russell is the future of the Los Angeles Lakers. So I hesitate a little bit with D'Angelo Russell, but it, there seems to be a path to where you can run it back and then you got all these options uh, once the season starts. The option of going big game hunting, I, that one seems a little bit – it doesn't seem like that's going to happen with the Lakers. I think they're going to try to bring some of these guys back and then just be a little bit patient. They got good draft compensation coming up, the number 17 pick. I think the number 47 pick this year as well. They got their 2029 first rounder, a 2030 first rounder. So I think the Lakers do have options. I, I don't think – listen, you're gonna the roster is going to have to get better for all the reasons that I just said. Um, the Denver Nuggets are only going to get better. All these other teams are in a window to try to win right now. They're going to get better. You always worry about the LeBron, Anthony Davis. LeBron's going to be 39 next year, his 21st season in the NBA. So there's a lot of different reasons to uh, try to make sure that you improve this roster. I think there are a lot of paths for them to get there, and I think the last thing they need to do is panic. Maybe last summer you were looking at it and say, oh, my gosh, you know, they got to panic because how are you going to get rid of Russell Westbrook's $47 million? What type of draft compensation do you have to give up? Well, they didn't panic, and they were able to still improve the roster even though it took till February 9th. I think now they're in a much better spot. They have a lot more options, and like I mentioned, they're in a, a position where they don't have to fix everything uh, right up front. Okay, coming up next, Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation. You guys know uh, always enjoy having conversations with Trev on the Lakers. I'll get his thoughts on some of the options for the Lakers in the offseason, what he thinks they should do, um, what he thinks they should do with D'Angelo Russell, and then I'll ask him the question too. On Lakers head coach Darvin Ham, how did he think Darvin Ham did in his first year as the head coach of the Lakers? We'll do all that coming up next. Appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Stay right here. Trevor Lane coming up uh, coming up next. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. All right, I want to welcome in uh, Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation. Uh, by the way, does a fantastic job on Lakers Nation. Also hosts the front office show. You can catch a lot of his work on YouTube. Uh, Trev, thank you very much for coming on. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Alan. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been... I can tell you this, Alan. I'm feeling a little bit better okay. now that the Celtics are not going to be in the finals. That 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 at least eases my mind a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you. I all of a sudden became uh, the biggest uh, Miami Heat fan. I was uh, shed a tear when Alonzo Mourning was accepting the award yesterday. I'm with you. There is something, there is something about that that's comforting. Um, well, we got a lot to catch up on, and I want to get into you know all the different scenarios that could play out in the off season. I want to do all that, but before we do. Let me just kind of get your thoughts. You're the per perfect person to ask for how much you're around Lakers basketball and how much you cover. Um, give me just a, a minute or two on on what you took away from the 2022-2023 season. Uh, what would you think? How would you kind of describe the year in general? And ultimately, was it, was it a success to you? I thought I think that it was a an important reminder of uh, how powerful perseverance can be starting so poorly on the season and then finding your way and ultimately making the moves at the trade deadline and, and then making this push all the way to the Western conference finals. Look, it definitely stung getting swept in the West finals. But when you look at the context, you look at the big picture, I think you have to feel pretty good about not just this, this team, what the players accomplish. I think that's certainly a big part of this, 
uh, feeling proud of, of what the guys did out there. And again, it's disappointing that they, that they got swept to the Western Conference Finals, but the team had been together for like two months. Um, so I, I think we can understand why that happened and why it went down the way it did. But there were a lot of question marks organizationally from fans about, you know, it, are, is they, are they making the right decisions on a front office level? And I think a lot of those fears were alleviated based on what they were able to do at the trade deadline. And now they've created a lot of optimism moving forward about the young talent on this team, about um, the future of this club. So when I look at this season in its totality, I just think of what an amazing turnaround it's been on both levels, both the front office and the on-court product. It's changed so dramatically from the beginning of the season to now and in such a positive way um, that I think this, this optimism is, is great and it's there for a reason. And uh, and I can't wait to see what the team looks like next year. Yeah, it's interesting, Trev. I, I think there was there's a lot of positives I could take away as well. And I think when whatever you thought of this Lakers team before the season before the season started, and then all of a sudden you got to a point where if I'd have said, hey, you know what, what if they got to the Western Conference Finals, I think it'd be really really tough to understand. Well, how would they do that? And um, you know, is it with Russell Westbrook? Is it? I, I think we'd have a hundred different questions in our head that I, I do stand with you that I feel like the position that they're in now is um, you could see not just light at the end of the tunnel, but you could see a, a real team being put together and hopefully players that complement one another and hopefully a good offseason. But before I get to the offseason, I started the show off talking about uh, Darvin Ham and his first year as as head coach. And you get this a lot because you get instant reaction after games and your interaction with a lot of these um, Laker fans. The job of taking on the Lakers head coach, putting that hat on, comes with a lot. And it's a lot of it is the expectations sometimes are, or most of the time, it's like, all right, this isn't even realistic. Um, Darvin Ham took over a Lakers team that clearly had a lot of flaws to the roster. Um, the season started out two and ten. Everybody is looking at the Los Angeles Lakers and the brand and LeBron James, and they're always on the local news and national news. Eventually, as the dust settled and the trade deadline came, the Lakers got to a point where, hey, I think this is a pretty good team. Um, what did you look at overall? How would you look at Darvin Ham as his first year as head coach? What are the some of the things you liked? What are some of the things that you hope he improves on? And just your overall thoughts on how he did. You know, I think just like with the team, it's easy to get frustrated with Darvin because of the series, uh, the way this season ended against the Denver Nuggets. I thought that was he wasn't great in that series, and but he was great against Golden State. He was great against Memphis. Made a lot of costly mistakes against the Denver Nuggets, and it's easy to get to become prisoners of the moment and just you know what have you done for me lately. Um, overall, I thought it was a really good season for Darvin Ham, and I thought it was a season of growth. I think that's the key word for Darvin, it's growth. I think we saw improvements from him all throughout the season, particularly once the roster turned over and, the, and he got you know six new players coming in at the trade deadline, and the team just made a lot more sense. I mean, we said it way back in July of last year that the roster that they put together made no sense. Um, there wasn't any kind of balance. There were way too many guards. It was, just, it was a mess. But once he got a roster that on paper made sense, he was able to do a lot of things and kind of show his stuff as a coach. And we saw, again, I think some of that perseverance that I talked about a little bit ago, that is also attributable to Darvin Ham and, and his mentality and the buy-in that he gets from the players. So I think that we saw him grow as a coach throughout the year. I thought we saw his decision-making get better and better and better as the season goes on. And clearly he's got the buy-in from the players. So 
I think it was a good season overall from him, even if it leaves a bad taste in your mouth seeing what happened uh, against Denver. So that said, what is it that Darvin can improve upon from here? I think you start getting into specifically how he uses timeouts. Would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive there with timeouts or not using them. He didn't use them very often to stop opponents' runs where other teams will do that. So maybe that's something that gets tweaked a little bit. Uh, in-game adjustments, adjusting on the fly, which is very, very difficult. I thought he did a really nice job in the playoffs adjusting game to game in the first couple of series. But then in-game, I thought he was a little slow to react, which is a very, very difficult thing to do. I think those are the improvements we're going to see, and those are things that just come naturally with time. So those are things that I'm expecting to see from him, not things that I think are impossible for him to do as he continues to grow as a head coach. Again, keyword growth, and I think we saw a lot of it from Darvin Ham this season. Trevor Lane taking some time here to join us on Lakers Talk. Um, Darvin Ham, obviously, as you mentioned, I, I think there are a lot of positives you could take away from it. They're building blocks, and whatever areas that we think that Darvin Ham needs to be better in, um, it's clear that it can easily, easily happen as he progresses his career in the NBA. And he's not a first-year head coach for the Lakers anymore. Trev, I, I want to jump into this. There was a, was a good article in um, ESPN. Dave McMenamin had it, uh, I want to say on Friday, Saturday, something along those lines. And it talked about some of the options for the Lakers uh, this upcoming year. One of them is run it back with the same team. Another one's change it up uh, dramatically, which the Lakers have seemed to do every year. And the last one was shake it up just a little, not too much. Um, when you look at the Lakers offseason, what are some of your, what what are, I, I guess your, what you're hoping to see done for the Lakers, I guess you could say top priorities. What are you hoping to see? Yeah, um, that's something that I've been been struggling with too, Alan, is is how many different paths are available. Like last season, we went in saying, okay, they've got their taxpayer mid-level exception they can use, and we know that's the, the best thing that they've got to go chase somebody. Otherwise, it's better in minimums. The Lakers have so many different ways they can go with this. They could be a cap space team. They could have a mid-level exception, a biannual exception. They could have a room exception if they're a cap space team. Maybe they're, they just have the taxpayer mid-level. They could have none of that if they keep enough of their talent and be them enough. So there's so many different ways they can get with this. But ultimately, what I'd like to see the Lakers walk away from the offseason with, it's at least one more difference maker um, on the floor. Like I would expect them to retain most of this roster. I think they found something. I think that most of the team talked about how they're going to get better with a training camp under their belt, which is accurate. Can you walk away from whether it's via trade, whether it's via uh, free agency, can you walk into next season with one more difference maker and then some guys who fit? I think the two things that you need to find this season, it's shooting, which it feels like we've been talking about that for years now. You still need more shooting on this roster, or at least consistent shooting. And then I think they need another big. I think they need a big that can either play behind Anthony Davis or sometimes at the same time as AD. They need to find a big man, which may not be easy on this free agent market. But that's what I'd like to see them emerge from this summer with you bring back most of your guys austin and Rui and and d'angelo russell and, and on and on bring back most of your team and see if you can add a difference maker and whether that's a three-point shooter or a big whatever um get those skill sets filled and then off you go that's what i'm looking to do if i'm rumpling in the summer trev what's your what, what what's your level of faith on d'angelo russell um uh, yeah, I, I guess being the guy, because let me properly explain this. Austin Reeves was the third best player on this Lakers team. Rui Hachimura 
was a fantastic, fantastic asset in the playoffs for the Lakers. I thought D'Angelo Russell had some moments against the Grizzlies. I thought he had some moments against the Golden State Warriors and was a complete no-show, non-factor against the Denver Nuggets. Do you have faith that D'Lo can be a player that the Lakers can depend on? Does Do they have enough talent if they're bringing back the same team and D'Lo is one of your primary players? Yeah, I think they do. I like D'Angelo Russell still. I know that, look, there's no denying that series against the Denver Nuggets was awful. Um, he was He was horrendous. That was some of the worst basketball we've seen him play in a long, long time. But – he also played some really great basketball to help the Lakers get there. I mean, averaged over 17 points per game, more than six assists, shot better than 40% from three. These are all things that you would want out of a, a guard on this Lakers team. Um, I also like that he's completely comfortable being an on-ball guard and being an initiator or playing off-ball and being kind of a floor spacer, secondary attacker. So I think there's a lot to like still with D'Angelo Russell. Sure, there's some shortcomings defensively, but I think he can be a fit for this team. But – my thing is this, is that even if you, even if you don't agree with me that D'Angelo Russell can be a fit, I think you still don't want D'Angelo Russell walking away. What you want is him to sign to a team-friendly contract, and maybe you could flip that down the road uh, if you can find a way to pull that off. That, him walking away for nothing is not what you want to see happen this summer at all. So even if you're not a fan of D'Angelo Russell, I think that keeping him – is probably still the correct path. Again, there's a lot of different ways the Lakers can go. They decide they want to be a cap space team. Keeping him would not be an option. But assuming they decide to retain D'Lo and they want to keep him around, even if it's just to use him in a future move, um, I, I think the correct move is to, is to hang on to him and not just lose him and let him walk away. So that's what I'm looking to do with, with D'Angelo Russell. I think that he can be a fit long-term for the Lakers. And as long as I'm careful with what kind of contract I sign him to, if that doesn't prove to be correct, you could always make a move later on in order to uh, fill that salary slot with something else. Well, it's funny, Trev, because I, I actually I fall in the – I'm okay with bringing D'Angelo Russell back, but I also at the same time don't feel like I got a ton of confidence in, in him in a championship run. But what you're saying about, well, bring him back, and then you could decide what to do. You have the flexibility from there, and um, if it's part of another deal that you make – Unfortunately for D'Angelo Russell, he's been a part of this now a few times, right, where he's been used as a piece for one of these other championship contenders to get the piece that they're looking for. Um, and listen, I, whether that is, hey, D'Lo just had a bad series or no, you can't depend on him in the playoffs, I don't think we really have the full answer to that. I'm not as bullish or as confident as you may be when it comes to that. Um, but I think that will be you know, an interesting kind of – It'll be interesting to see what the Lakers do from that perspective. Is the is the Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, is that the – I feel like every Laker fan is, hey, make sure you bring those those two guys back. Is that how you feel on those two players? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you bring them back. Of course, you know, with Rui, it's within reason, you know. But Austin, he's going to be subject to the arenas rule if he, if he signs a deal with another team. The Lakers can match on either player, so the Lakers have to make the conscious choice to let this guy walk away that's they're they're going to be restricted free agents so i think you bring them back look with Rui, you gave up three second round picks to get him you clearly saw something in him that you like he performed great in the playoffs i don't think that he's going to be shooting quite at the level that he shot in the playoffs every single season but nonetheless i think he brings a lot to the floor for the lakers so i'm definitely bringing him back and austin like you said third best player on the team 
There's no question. You just you can't let him walk away. I don't care what he gets offered. You don't let him walk away. You definitely got to bring him back. Uh, Trev, final one, and always appreciate your time. Got about 30 seconds here. Your thoughts on the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat finals? Yeah, I think it's going to be a great series. Um, I've picked against Miami in every series so far, and they've proven me wrong. So I have a hard time doing it again, but I'm going to. I'm going to say Nuggets in seven. I'm going to be optimistic that we're going to get seven more games of NBA basketball, but I do think the Denver Nuggets ultimately uh, take it and, and get the job done. Trev, thank you, brother. Always appreciate your time and your insight. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, Alan. All right, that is Trevor Lane, Lakers Nation. Final thoughts. I got some thoughts on the NBA Finals as well. Stay right here. This is uh, Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. All right, thank you to Trevor Lane for taking some time to joining the show. Uh, always, always appreciate his insight on Lakers basketball, and he does such a good job, so great to have him on the show. Um, okay, I got a couple NBA stories I want to get into. Obviously, NBA Finals are going to start this Thursday, so I'll hit on that. Let, let's start with this. Let's start with that Miami-Denver Nuggets – oh, I'm sorry, the Miami-Boston Celtics series in the Eastern Conference Finals. Man, I got to be honest. Um, in the beginning, I really thought the Boston Celtics just had too much talent. And then Miami jumps out. They win the first two games in Boston. And you're like, what the heck? Is this really going to happen? And then game three in Miami, it looks like the Boston Celtics just completely, completely give up on, um, you know, obviously on uh, on their head coach and give up on the Boston Celtics. And Magic Johnson sends a tweet. He's like, I never thought in 40 years of being a part of the NBA, I would see the Celtics give up. And then they somehow... They win game five. No, they win game four. It's 3-1. And then 3-1, three, three, they go to back to Miami um, for 3-2. Um, oh, actually, that one's in Boston. I got all these days. I got all these dates mixed up. But they get it to 3-2. Let's just put it that. Get it to 3-2. Game six was on Saturday. I'm watching the game with some uh, some friends and some cousins of mine, and – it's basically, all right, looks like Boston's going to win the game. All right, Boston's up 8 or 10 with a couple minutes left. Man, I can't believe Boston's going to take this thing back. They're going to be the first team to ever come back from uh, down 3-0. And Miami then goes on a run with a couple minutes left. And then when Al Horford fire, uh, fouls Jimmy Butler and he gets the three free throws, like, what the heck is going What am I watching here? I knew right at that point, like, Jimmy Butler's going to hit all three of these threes. And I know there's still three seconds left, but the chances, it just felt like the momentum was all Miami, that this series was a wrap. And we all know what happened. Derek White inbounds the ball. Marcus Smart turns around, shoots a three in and out. Derek White uh, follows the miss off the inbounds, tips it in, 0.1 seconds left, and they're going back to Boston for Game 7 on Memorial Day. We get to watch uh, Game 7, Heat and the Celtics. I thought something was so interesting in the postgame comments after Game 6. It was Eric Spolstra saying, I don't know how we're going to do it. This is right after they lost a devastating loss at home, and they've lost three games in a row, the Celtics, and they got to go now to Boston for game seven. All the momentum with the Boston Celtics. Says, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we are going to go back to Boston. We're going to find a way to win. And Jimmy Butler, after that, says, we're going to win game seven. We're going to win in Boston. He said, the reason why I'm smiling right now and I'm happy right now, I know how bad I played. I'm not going to play like that in Game 7. And then last night, Game 7, on the first play, Tatum rolls an ankle. Said he was a shell of himself. And the Miami Heat had 
pretty much a 10-point lead the entire way. Okay, sometimes it dropped down to 6 or 7, but for the most part, it was 14, 15, 16. It was in that range, so about a 10-point lead the whole way. And then by the time the final buzzer went, Miami lost three games in a row and went Game 7 in Boston and won. Unbelievable series. Uh, I was captivated. I'm obviously cheering for the Heat. Why? Because I still want to see the Celtics win. They got 17 NBA championships. I think we all have our reasons for why we didn't want Boston. And now we got Miami and Denver. And, you know, I already hear people saying, ah, what am I going to watch this series for? Ah, you know, this isn't exciting. Miami and, and, and Denver, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra is obviously a big name in this whole thing just because he's arguably the best coach in the NBA. Um, this might be one of those series where you got to be a real NBA fan. That's the best way that I could put it. Hell, if you're listening to Lakers talk, as I'm in the final week of May on a Tuesday night, you just got to be a late, you got to be an NBA fan. And for me, as much as I am a Los Angeles Laker fan, as much as I love Lakers basketball, as much as I want to see the Lakers success, whether they're in the playoffs, they're not in the playoffs, whether they're in the finals, they're not in the finals. I love the NBA. And I'm looking forward to the matchup. I do think it's intriguing. I do think it's intriguing if Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, whose franchise of the Denver Nuggets have never been to the NBA Finals, if they can win their first NBA championship. And I also think it's interesting for some of the other reasons. Eric Spolstra is going to his sixth NBA Finals. This is his sixth time in the NBA Finals. Jimmy Butler and that team in 2020 that faced the Lakers – yeah, kind of interesting, right? You got the Denver Nuggets that just beat the Lakers. You got the Miami Heat that lost to the Lakers in the NBA Finals in 2020. They're trying to not just get back to the Finals, but win an NBA championship. Um, you got Pat Riley involved. I, I, I know you got to be an NBA fan to be rooting or to be watching this NBA Finals, but I'm in. I'm always in, and I'm excited to watch it. So uh, the only other things that happen from an NBA perspective, Nick Nurse about to coach the Philadelphia 76ers. I think that's actually a really good move. I think that's interesting. And the Bob Myers one, the last one I got here, stepping down as Golden State Warriors president, I don't know what it means, but I know he was one of the architects to four NBA titles. Laker fans, always appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Thank you to Trevor Lane for being a part of it uh, from Lakers Nation. Thank you to Michael Funches, Laura Romo, and thank you to Mar Ruiz. Hope you guys have a good uh, rest of your week.